Hi, I am Jen Matthews, and I'm an adoptee. You're listening to Conversations About Adoption, a podcast where I interview and converse with other adoptees and first parents about their stories and other issues around adoption. My goal is to spread the perspectives of other adoptees and first parents so we can challenge the common narratives and misconceptions of adoption and hopefully shed light on the social justice issues pertaining to adoption, as well as the issues adoptees and first parents face on a regular basis. Okay, so I am here with Mark, and Mark is a very unique voice in the adoptee community because he's an international adoptee, a transracial adoptee, and a transgender adoptee. So Mark covers a lot of voices in the adoption community, and I think is a very, very important uh, story for people to hear. And uh, I found Mark on TikTok, and I just love your videos. They've got this artistic flair about them. They're they're a lot of fun, snarky, which I enjoy. I do the snark myself, and um, but creative too. They're a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, um, that's uh, that's kind of. Part of my uh, aimed goal is trying to be like, well, you know, poke a little bit of fun, but offer a little bit of presentation and showmanship while being genuine at the same time. Yeah, I think you cover those bases pretty well. It's kind of hard when you start on TikTok to be like, what am I going to do? You know, I started with telling my story. And then, of course, then you have people coming in and commenting and then it just trees out from there and uh, (laughs) whatever it inspires you to do. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, how old, like, what was your situation that you came to the States, like that you were available for adoption in Colombia? Do you know that information? Um, let's see. I, I know that I was, a, I was, I think they said with in less than a year on my paperwork that I was um, abandoned in a barrio by my birth mother bio mother and um along came my adopters you know shopping i was put in a magazine um that advertised international adoptees and i was available i was a year and a half when i was adopted um by my adopters and they live in the midwest they were farmers and my i will just say my a mom um was experiencing infertile infertility issues and stuff so she decided oh they decided oh well let's find let's find a child this way mm-hmm. and to quote them you know oh well race doesn't matter we will just we'll just get a kid uh, colorblind yep <laughs> <laughs> um so they they did that and they consulted with their church and i was adopted through the children's home society the lutheran children's home society and that that's they have adopted a lot of Colombian children and um, Latin American children through that. Um, and so I came here in so a year and a half, very early 90s then, um, and settled in. And my folks are farmers. So we were out in the rural Minnesota area, Midwest. Um, and it was very, it was very interesting. They had a big family. Uh, my adopted dad has had many siblings. I have about 16 adopted cousins. Um, wow. Yeah, so it was a big family. And I think that they personally felt left out not being able to um, procreate. So yeah. they- My mom had they, some of that too, because with her being Mexican, like one, two, her two older sisters had six kids and the youngest one had six and her brother had four and she was only able to have my sister. And then that was it. She had some, I don't believe it was her. I believe the fertility issues were on my dad's side. He had a lot of issues, but she did have a miscarriage. And so, yeah. And if they didn't really go shopping for me, I was part of the baby scoop era. So they were actually offered, Hey, you ever think about adoption? So wow. Yeah, a little bit different, different way it happened, but they were like, well, we always wanted a big family, so why not? 
you know. Wow. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> no, yeah, they uh they they literally went through and looked through this magazine and there's pictures that you know told information about us, our health status. Oh my gosh, um, it's like know, a kid catalog. Status. Exactly. And I remember my adopted mom telling me um, that they chose me in this black and white photo because I had such dark features, but my skin was just porcelain like my adopted mom. And so I kind of feel that she thought that I would be, you know, mirroring her and kind of relieving some of that, oh, I'm not able to have children, but now I have this child who's going to look like me and surprise, surprise, that didn't really turn out the Mm -hmm. way she planned (laughs) at all. (laughs) So, there, there was, it was really interesting hearing later on after the fact, but um, I heard from my adopted aunts, some of them, very few of them that I do trust. Um, they said that uh, as a child, I, I often would kind of cry and, you know, act out a lot, but then I'd be taken from the room or taken out of the situation for a few minutes and then brought back sleeping or pacified or whatever it may be. Hmm. So I'm not really sure what happened, but I believe that that caused a big rift between my adopted mom and I. Um, And I also learned that at the, this is not my title for it, but this is what I was told, the orphanage that I was placed at. Mm -hmm. So that's not a term I condone, but Mm -hmm. um, they said that there were no men there. You know, no men were allowed there. It was just women working there. So I, it took me a long time to adapt to my adopted dad, like, Apparently, I had huge issues with being around men. I just was like, oh, you know, um, so. Really? Like fear or? Yep. Fear, distrust. Um, like, I just didn't understand. I'm like, what, what is this? Like, and eventually, supposedly things worked out. But I really do believe there always was just kind of a really big rift of distrust. And on the farm, there was no time to work on these things oh we got this kid hurry everybody here's a party and then back to work all right yep and so I spent a lot of time with my a mom who was pretty much at the time you know becoming a a housewife she used to be in interior design but then she kind of stayed home with me and I don't remember a lot from our alone periods Um, we we did eventually go back and get my adopted brother. And that's kind of when things started to become more clear, but um, there's just a lot of distrust and that kind of became the pattern throughout our adoption unit. So you have a brother who's adopted from South America as well? Yes, he's also adopted from Colombia through uh, the Children's Home Society. Um, He's not my blood relative or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And I, I won't really give too much of his information out, sure, but sure. He, he was adopted due to supposed abuse from his biological mother. As we were learning, a lot of these agencies were kind of spinning a lot of stories, and in sure. the 80s and early 90s, there were like thousands of Colombian children that were kidnapped, stolen, abducted, sold, um, kind of like some of the things that we've learned. And so there's no actual evidence of anything. Like, right. So the records probably not very yep. many anyway. Nope. So um, I, I never really have seen a Colombian birth certificate. I've never seen one. No listing of anything of anybody. It literally is just like I poofed and appeared in this magazine. And here I am, this adorable little import. Wow. <laughs> Um, so yeah, and a lot of, uh, a mom's issues became evident. And I personally believe that they did not fully do a lot of the self-work that I believe anybody should do if they're adopting. Right. Yeah. And like, I hope with adoptees speaking out the more hopeful adopters are getting open to the open-minded hip to the fact that we need a little bit more care. They need to be trauma-informed, Absolutely. you know, and like 
being born in 1971, mental health was not anything people really talked about. You know, they yeah. would just like reflect on Cuckoo's Nest and it's, you know, this slippy sock vacation kind of thing. And and that was it. There was no real. So there was like no chance of of me being seen by a therapist. It was just, you know, quit your crying, <laughs> you yeah. know. Yep. Yeah, there was. Oh, yeah. And so it's nice to see like time going forward and there is more awareness about mental health. And yeah, it's so important that people that want to adopt have an awareness of this. You can't just bring a child in from another family and think they're automatically going to fit. Absolutely. You know, it's like the blank slate theory. And I mean, sometimes your own biological kids don't fit with you for whatever reason. So it's even less likely with an adopted child. Exactly. Yep. And, and to, to stem off your um, kind of like your quick crying thing, that was the farmer mentality. Like, you know, well, I, I work 20 hour days and you're lucky to be here and you're my gift from God. So you shape up and, you know, be grateful. What do you and have to cry about? Exactly. And when mental health was being discussed, it was treated more as I'm realizing, as I analyze how these interactions went, it was more of a punishment, like, oh, you better behave and straighten up or we're going to take you to this place. We're going to take you to this center. I have never, never been to any sort of, like I had to learn what grippy socks. I had no idea what that meant. Mm-hmm. I've never been to any sort of thing like that. And the very few therapists, like two or three that I did see were very AP focused and very much about like, Hey, why are you doing this to your APs? Mm-hmm. So I, I personally struggle with interacting with APs and I intentionally avoid it because they're triggering. Yep. (laughs) I get pretty, pretty nasty. So so much for child centered, you know, like, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like people try to act like it is. It's like, Oh, but what about the kids? Yeah. What about them? You know, (laughs) what are you going to do to help them? You know, It's, it's like the, the whole thought, like maybe there's a good intention at the very core of it. They think they're doing something good because there's this popular narrative in society of, oh, you know, but it's not, it's so much more complex than that, you know, exactly. and exactly. it's like, oh, it's, it's, they don't get it sometimes. They, there are more and more adoptive parents that, that do listen and, um, for me, I've been on Instagram a lot longer than I was on TikTok. And every once in a while, I'll get a message from somebody that was like, I really appreciate your content. And you know, I used to just make snarky memes all the time. <laughs> and, um, and you know, they're like, I really had no idea. And you really opened my eyes. And, and that always feels really good when you get somebody who actually hears you. You know, absolutely. And, and that's, that's, I feel personally, my issue. It's really, really difficult to admit this, but like, yes, I believe that my APs or adopters, as the term I use, are human. I believe that deep down, as you said, there was actual true, you know, maybe a little glimmer of that they wanted to do good, but it was covered by many years of generational trauma, which we know about here. And like, I just think that they did not take the time in my life coming to this point pretty much speaks that. Mm-hmm. And they, they just very much were probably harmed. And I, I humanized with them and that, and I hold no hate, but I cannot, I've never fully connected with them. Yeah. And I've learned how to love by myself through my own interactions. And I've taught myself how to love. I love my family. I love my friends. And I even love the adoptees I've met but I do not love them. And I can say that without a doubt. Yeah. I, I was very attached to my adoptive dad. I was very much like a daddy's girl, but it was like the seventies. He was very minimal interaction as far as like child rearing. It was all my adoptive mom and her and I were pretty much like oil and water. <laughs> like, yeah. And then I had like a lot of anger aimed at my birth mother, but because that was just simply from not understanding that she was 16 and didn't have a say and all that stuff. And yeah. it was like my defense mechanism. It's like, it was easier to be angry about it than to be hurt by it. 
but because my a mom was there i think she got the brunt of my anger you know and um but it's it's that's another thing too is like everybody has some trauma that's unresolved and when you go to be a parent you really need to work on that stuff or else you're just gonna pass it on down to them I've been learning and so then you take that and then you add into the fact that you know there's maybe fertility issues and then they're going to adopt a child you can really see where I understand the adoptees that are out there on TikTok saying you need to do therapy first, you know, and you need to be trauma informed. It's, it's, it's really, I mean, the more I learn about trauma, I had a class last semester that was trauma informed and it just really opened my eyes. You know, I thought I was trauma informed and (laughs) I wasn't. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah. So have you ever done any searching? Like, did you do DNA or anything to see if you can find anybody? Well, obviously, because you matched with Ori. Yep. I did the 23andMe thing. Um, That was a gift from my adopters. Um, I'm sure they had well intentions there. That was kind of when I was starting to question things and they're like, well, here, you can maybe find your relatives. And so um, I did that and I found two biological cousins, both are on, well, no, I don't know for sure if they're on TikTok anymore, but um, I've talked to them. I've not met up with either of them yet, Mm -hmm. Um, but that's kind of as far as it's gotten. I would email and interact with the agency, um, but they were very dismissive and they're just like, well, we'll we'll help you if you can fly yourself down to Colombia and then we'll do this minimal work. And Mm -hmm. it it really never added up to anything. And that kind of scared me a little bit. And I publicly said that I don't want to do it, um, Mm -hmm. reconnect or anything. But um, I suppose if I took the time to really be honest with myself, I think I'm more so just afraid, even if I could, that I would be rejected by my, my mother, considering, as you said, my um, places of intersectionality, as far as my marginalization and stuff like that. Um, I feel that that would hurt a lot worse than anything I've ever dealt with. And that would force me to see myself. And Mm -hmm. that's, I would like to maybe, but it's going to take a lot of me work first. Reunion is scary as hell even if you don't have the intersectionality that you've got going on, like it's terrifying. I, I, my adoptive mom drove me to go meet my biological grandparents and I'm glad she was driving. Cause I had probably pulled over and thrown up like five times on the way there. I mean, I was just like, I'm like, I can't do this. And she's like, we're going. I'm like, I don't know. You know, like I was really, I was squirming inside of my skin, like all the emotions. It was insane and really intense and terrifying. you know it's almost like breaking not breaking like the fourth wall but it it kind of in a way you're like oh never this never was possible this never was possible and now it is what is reality these people what like (laughs) yeah exactly it's just the unknown it's like I in my case I was going from knowing zero to learning a whole lot like you know at 30 years old about where I came from And it was really intense. And I think it's that way for most people, you know, because it's such an emotional thing. And as adoptees, I feel like we're very conditioned to keep our feelings about adoption down deep, buried. And like, I don't know, were your adoptive parents like pretty insecure about that? Um, Well, I want to say that they, you know, told me I'm pretty sure I asked at least when I was maybe in you know, elementary school or, you know, kindergarten or something like that. Um, but at first they were kind of like, oh, you know, you, you know, you want to hurt our feelings because you want to know about these people. So I kind of let it go. But then mm-hmm. I do remember um, in our basement, uh, my mom's office, she had the computer and everything. And I would go, you know, fiddle with stuff. And I ran across my paperwork. accidentally and so they I was kind of like well what does this mean like I know you told me I was adopted but like what does this mean and they really had to kind of be like well 
this paper says that your mother abandoned you in a barrio, you know, poor area, and didn't want you and couldn't take care of you. So it was, you know, through God that you came to us and we came to love you. And, you know, at the time I kind of bought it, but part of me throughout the whole process was like, mm. Mm, something's not right here. Yeah. <laughs> That whole God so, thing really trips me out. I'm just like, please, no. <laughs> yep. And, and, and I had to really, I didn't think about the fact that if that were the logic, then, well, God also told you that you shouldn't maybe do this in a way. Like, <laughs> but yeah. I didn't figure all that out till later. So. Yeah. Like, it's crazy how people that are, the interactions we have on TikTok in particular with people that are infertile and they're so defensive and very well, you know, I can't have a baby. This is my only choice. And, and, but if we tell them, you know, just accept it, that this is like God's plan. If that's what you believe, this is God's plan for you. And they get so offended. Meanwhile, (laughs) we have to accept dump truck loads of crap. Yep that we didn't even have a choice about, you know, and somehow that's like the lesser of two evils for them. And that's something that kind of bugs me. It's like, okay, I have to. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. Like really wonder if you're even a person, like. We have no choice, but to accept things. We don't have a choice, you know, I mean, there's a choice people check out unfortunately yeah no but like if you don't take that route then you have no choice but to accept that this is your life this is i mean what else are you supposed to do you know or go curl up under a blanket and sleep for the rest of your life like i don't know and you know i really i've struggled with that a lot myself like just having to be like wow this is really messed up <laughs> you know but yeah and, and rethinking it doing critical thinking and realizing you know well you know it's not harmful you're really just as you know you're really becoming more aware of what happened and everything that's entailed mm-hmm. and the glitter and rainbows and unicorns start to wear off and you realize oh like wow there's a lot more to unpack here than just i'm from columbia or as you said you know in your situation like i'm from here like there's a lot to your what was your life so far what what is everything Mm -hmm. you have to reanalyze everything yeah yeah and it hurts people in multiple ways too like a lot of people talk about adoption and call it a triad and but it's it's not it's i like using web or constellation because there are so many others that are affected besides just you, bios, and APs. Because if you think about it, there's siblings, you know, adoptive yes. siblings, biological siblings, aunts and uncles. And there's the agencies, there's lawyers, there's social workers, there's, you know, ad- adoptive relatives and grandparents and so forth. And they all bring different complexities. Like my uncle was affected because. My grandmother didn't tell him about me. He had no idea till the day before he met me. And he was 48 years old. They kept it a secret from him for 30 years. Like, so now he's got to reevaluate everything. Like they've lied to me all this time. Like, can I trust them about anything? About anything, really. You know, because it's such <laughs> a big thing to like keep a secret, you know, a whole goddamn person. A whole ass child. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like it's it's crazy. It's like when um when did you start uh like when did you get the idea to join TikTok? And did you originally plan on doing adoption stuff or did you just stumble across people and be like, hey? Um, well, I I had let's see. It's 2022. I would say maybe about I'm, I'm not very good on a judge of time, but I would say maybe about a year or a year and a half ago, like mm-hmm. it was kind of when I started, um, I, I knew about TikTok. I won't lie. I, you can quote me. I absolutely was skeptical of TikTok. I thought it was ridiculous. I thought it was just a bunch of dancing people. And one <laughs> of my friends 
um, noticed at uh, an, like an event, a little party event for our family, that they're like, oh yeah, you really like to dance a lot. I think you'd be great at TikTok. And I'm like, mm, no, TikTok is silly. And then they're just like, well, just check it out. You know, there might be something you might be into. And so I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll do this. And I tr- started it and I'm like, well, what's something about me? I'm not quite ready to go twerk yet. So <laughs> what's something about me that I know is very unique to me in my area? And I'm like, well, I'm adopted. I mean, there's probably not going to be anything about adoption. Nobody else out there is adopted. And then this whole world opened up and I was like, oh my gosh, like, oh my gosh, like there's a whole thing. Yeah. And I, I started to push on that and kind of like question and watch some creators. And I was just like, my gosh, there's this whole world out there. There's everybody else who's there's, I'm not wrong in thinking that this is kind of part of my language, but fucked up. Like, <laughs> I know I've worked the podcast is explicit. You can say whatever you want. Perfect. <laughs> it was just eye opening. It was kind of like you said, when you're, when, when those people are learning about like your, like your uncle learned about you, that was like, literally this whole wall fell down and all these people started pouring in. I was just like, it was almost overwhelming. Like, yeah. Oh, like, I think I came across you pretty early on. Like I saw an early video where you mentioned that you were adopted. And I was like, hi. <laughs> yep. Because <laughs> I've, yep. I've been trying to find other adoptees. And now it's cool. It seems like there's been a lot more and a lot more joining the ranks. And I'm sure it's been like some of the articles with Carpuzzi and Sarah and several other people that have been out there now. They're like, oh, adoptees are on TikTok. <laughs> you know yeah yep, and, and, dive and in. <laughs> it's great it's great and it's so funny because so few people are like oh or so many people say to us you know we're sorry you had a bad experience and they just assume all these things about you because you speak out about adoption and it's like no adoption is kind of fucked up you know like you have to look at it with a more objective lens it's like, and oh, not honey. just the you know what you want thing like yep and they I don't mean, the idea everyone else <laughs> i'm sorry they don't see everyone else like it's like oh no it's not just me dear there's a bunch of us yeah yeah i hear that a lot that a lot of people are like i had no idea that i wasn't the only one who felt this way you know yeah. i think i think des said the same thing desiree that's um a uh, grateful adoptee i forget what her oh the outspoken adoptee is her main account okay. awesome i yep. i interviewed her uh, like a couple weeks ago and I think she said the same thing like she had no idea and then she was like I'm not crazy you know like it's <laughs> not just me yep those yeah. sentiments exactly yep yeah and it's the thing we have to like find each other we're kind of isolated I had friends when I was a kid that were adopted I seemed to gravitate towards other kids that were adopted when I found them and but we didn't really talk too much about it you know, like we, we cover the bases. Like, do you know anything? No. Do you want to know anything? Maybe. And you know, and then it would just, that would be it. Yep. But like we trauma bonded, I think, or something. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I, my first interactions with other adoptees was at a, a, a picnic that was set up by the children's home society and it was for Latin American adoptees, you know, from you know, Mexico, Chile, Argentina, you know, yeah, all over. And I, at first, I'm like, oh, this is really cool. There was, you know, music from Latin America, and they had some food, although I kind of suspect it wasn't quite as authentic. But point being, um, I realized later, again, more of this realizing later, it was kind of like a little bit of a like mating ritual. I was brought there and introduced to um, other, you know, other kids, but more importantly, like little boys that were from Colombia or something. And they're like, you know, oh, do you like this person? And they would, my APs would check out where their parents, what they were doing. And it often meant money. And so oh my God. Like, oh, if you get along with this person, maybe one day you'll marry them and we can continue this bloodline on a safe, quote, quote, safe, you know, path that we've chosen, That's like arranged marriage. Yeah, it was really, now that I'm looking back, it was really freaky. <laughs> That's really kind of gross. Like, yep. 
Now, um, I have a friend, he's an international adoptee, and his agency would have these picnics um, when the kids were little growing up so that the adoptive parents could bring their kids to this picnic and they could hang out with other kids that were also adopted from like another country. And, you know, he said it was kind of nice, but he, his experience, uh, he said something like his mother would talk to these other parents about how he was like upset all the time as a little kid. And they tried to brush it off. Like, nah, you know, the, my kid's not like that. And it was like kind of interesting, you know, there's not that many pictures of me as a newborn. And I wonder if I was crying all the time, you know, and that's why. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. Oh, yep. And they would, the APs, I, yep, they would say stuff like that. Oh, you know, a little rambunctious, but, you know, all in all, a good kid. Like, it's like, what do you mean by that? Like, was I upset? What did you do about it? Like, yeah. <laughs> red light, red light. No, you've indicated on, on TikTok that you have cut contact with your adopters. Is that correct? Um, yes, for the most part. Um, I'm still living in um, a house that they own um, mm. and I'm living with my adopted brother he lives downstairs I'm not actually even sure if you can possibly hear me right now I don't <laughs> care um, it's I will just say that it's not a fully safe environment mm. um, but we do plan to move away and I have made it clear to APs that I am just done I've, I've made I've had my anger but I've let them know you know it's this is not hate at this point but it's just no longer for healthy for us. We don't even like each other. We just fight all the time. And yeah. it's a battle of who can beat, you know, who can get who down worse emotionally. And I'm like, this isn't, this isn't That's okay. not healthy. Yeah. Let's just, let's just cut our losses. And they're very offended and they want to try to have access to my child. And they've spoken with language indicating that they think that they are owed that. And I've just like... I'm like, um, no, after what my own child has told me of how you treat them, no, like you're not, no. Like there was even a, uh, a will drawn up as soon as kiddo was born. And I realized, I thought that was for their protection, but now I realize it's like, oh, if something happens to Mark, then we can snatch. We got this Ew. new one. Yep. Yep. And they they're just they they do have love for them and they you know I respect that and I said you know I hope you understand this is not me controlling a relationship it is me protecting you from a lot of very abusive behavior yeah abusive patterns and enabling of abuse if I can say that yeah yeah I get so, that and is they your, totally get it too do you, you and your adoptive brother get along pretty well or no absolutely no. not just tolerate each other in the same space we yep we it's kind of a um it's 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 a pretty nice setup but like it's we're we have everything kind of closed off so we don't have really any contact the only contact we have is when i hear him blasting music or doing whatever he does um yeah it's a lot yeah i wish him healing and I want him to find his way and I don't wish him harm but I do very much think that there needs to be you know um, intervention as far as he goes and I plan to eventually um, not release his information but release sure sure I understand yep yeah and space is important too it's important to have your own space and break free like my adoptive mom she you know, growing up, basically, I always get, I feel like guilty about this sometimes when I'm speaking to adoptees that were born Latino (laughs) and forced to grow up white. And here I am like white, white. And like, I am very, I tell people like I've described it as like, I have a brown heart because I grew up Latino. That is my ethnicity. I got Mexican shit decorating my house. I know how to make the food. I know the music. I used to be in Mexico a lot when I was a kid and stuff like that. I, I got culture that I would not have had if I wasn't adopted. And I appreciate that culture a great deal, but very much raised to be like the Catholic housewife, get married, you know, find a man, get married, have kids. And like, you didn't leave home till you get married. And like, my mom was actually in Mexico when I was 23 and I'm like moving out (laughs) because she wasn't there 
to lay the guilt trip on me because I was moving, you know, yeah. like she was really weird about stuff like that. She had bought a silverware set for me, but I couldn't have it until I got married. I'm like, finally, I was like, I'm like, mom, I'm 27 and I'm not married. Can I just have the silverware? <laughs> <laughs> right. I need to eat. I'm going to use this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's just sitting under a dresser. What's the point? Right. You know, but very traditional view, um, you know, of all that. She left all her family behind. She was, she's the only one. I have a couple of cousins that live in the States now, but pretty much everybody's down there. And, um, and I still keep in touch with all of them on Facebook and stuff like that. Which big fan, like lots of cousins, you know, with each of my yeah. aunts and uncles having six kids. Oh, I believe it. Ooh. Yeah. Our family reunions are overwhelming. So <laughs> I haven't been down there since 2006 because I can't really afford to travel. But, you know, it's, it's a big family. And my first cousins are all great. They all know me and who I am and have since I was a little kid. And it's always very, like, accepting and everything, you know. Did you ever have to go? I'm sure you did. Everybody does. But, like, do you remember at some point in your adolescence or early 20s going through a kind of identity crisis, not with a gender thing, but with the race thing where you're like, oh, right, I'm not white. Or were you like harshly aware of it from a very young age because of people being assholes? Um, well, I didn't fully understand my identity. You know, I didn't know anything past like, oh, you're Colombian. Like I, I knew that I knew that I was not the Midwest, I was not like them. Mm -hmm. I was not like the many um, Mexican American families. That was the people that I could most relate to because that's what we had around us other than the average regular folks. Um, but um, no, I was very, very aware. I was not, I didn't really want to learn anything because I didn't feel safe in the environment I was in. I was like, you're not like, they're like, oh, maybe we can get you this, you know, expensive Spanish tutor. And I'm like, well, no, like, I just want to go hang out with my friends who speak Spanish. I trust them. Mm -hmm. I knew I was different. I did not really fully understand what that all meant, but I knew that I was not like them. Mm -hmm. I knew something was off and I knew I was never going to be German Norwegian as they were. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm, my dad was Spanish American and my mom Mexican. And then my bio family, it's like Welsh and Scottish and German and like general UK, all just European. Yep. So, but like, it didn't hit me because we didn't live in Mexico. So it would have been like the reverse. If we lived in Mexico when I was growing up, then I would have probably gone through what you did. And instead it didn't hit me till I was like there when I was 20 and I hadn't been there for several years and my mom's cousins had come over and they were like, who, like they had, they didn't remember who I was, you know, cause they hadn't seen me. And I really, I really felt like, you know, uh, out of place, like very, very out of place. I think I told the story on another episode. So that's why I'm trying to be brief, but yeah, I did. I, it was like my big identity crisis. I'm like, Oh, right. I'm not and I still kind of struggle with it because my mom was so, I think she was homesick. And anytime she would hear people speaking Spanish out at like a grocery store, she'd immediately go over and be like, oh, little Dennis. And, you know, like, where are you from? And trying to, you know, oh, you know, I was born in Mexico City. And that. and I still have that urge, but I, I used to do it when I was in my 20s. But then people were looking at me like, the fuck is this gringo one you know <laughs> not like yeah. right right I'm not right I'm not actually Latino but you know and so that's like an adjustment I had to make in my mind because <laughs> I just got tired of getting the weird looks you know fair yeah so it's an interesting thing though like people need to keep that in mind when they're adopting that if they're kids of a different ethnicity or race like it sounds like you're around Latino people growing up and that's good, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, like, I remember my A-dad hiring the 
most beautiful Mexican, beautiful Mexican American boy in my class. He was, he was the, he had it. He was the vato. He was handsome. He knew everything. And my A dad hired him and his family to work in our fields and had me go serve them lemonade. And I just was absolutely confused. I'm like, what, what is this? Like, what's going on? And they're just like, oh, they're, they're my amigos. And, you know, we help them. They're migrant workers. So they're very grateful to us. Just going to almost like, I'm going to get beat up at school or something. Like, I can't do this. Like, and they, he didn't care. And he was really cool about it. But a lot of them really didn't know how to deal with me either. Cause they're like, well, we know you're not like them, but you're raised in their house. So they kind of sometimes would distance themselves from me as well. So I was like, well, I guess I'll just sit here in the middle. <laughs> yeah, that must be really awkward. Yeah. So. Yeah. And do your parents have feelings, I'm imagining that they do, about you transitioning? Oh, yeah. They, not supportive at all, still are working on, you know, when they would talk to me, like, barely, would still slip with she and when I did come out, it was, um, they kind of caught me coming home from Pride for the first time. And oh. I came out in a Coles parking lot and they threatened to try to take my child from me. And that it just kind of stayed the same. Like, oh, man. I sent them literature. I would, you know, be open. I brought them to a therapist, my hormone therapist's meeting. And I said, you know, okay, let's talk. And I shit you not, 15 minutes within that interview with them and these therapists, my A dad cursed out the therapist and they both stomped out saying how awful I was and that I was making them out to be villains and bad people. And so we've never done any work and I don't trust them to ever do any work on anything. Yeah, a lot of people don't, many people don't understand transgender and I mean I myself like you know I'm 50 and I growing up well 51 whatever um growing up you know anybody that was a cross-dresser or whatever you know they thought they were a freak and all that kind of stuff and you literally in order to understand it you have to do some research you have to look into it otherwise you're just going to continue on in ignorance and not I mean, it's something where you literally have to willfully be like, I'm don't understand this. So I'm going to learn about it, you know, and my first exposure was a friend of mine who was dating a person that was trans and, um, they ended up not being a very good person, but it has nothing to do with them being trans. They had a lot of trauma that they needed to heal with and it came out in not good ways. And I'm just going to leave it at that. But that wasn't my experience. That was my friend's experience with them, you know, and I was just there to support my friend through all of that. And, but that's not going to slip me in a bias against transgender people because that's one individual, you know, and like, it's not my life or anybody else's life to decide, you know, it's your life to live how you are happiest and how you are most comfortable in your skin and people that judge people for that really piss me off, you know? And it's, it's so funny because I I think they think that we, if, if I'm off, feel free, but like, I feel like they think that we are like, Oh, well you're transitioning. So, you know, you all deserve this special treatment and everything. And I can't speak for everyone else, but no, I'm just like, no, you can tell me if I'm being, you know, a dick or an ass. Yeah. You say, hey, that dude, that Mark dude, he's such a dick. Like, that's all you got to (laughs) do. Like, I'm a human being. I'm just, I just have a mustache and a deep voice now and, you know, a little bit of an ego, but go (laughs) off on that. Go off. That's what I am. And I own it. Like, well, that's it. That's good. You know, and it's, it's, do you find on TikTok, do you get a lot more pushback? about being transgender or about being an adoptee do you think um well i 
in the interactions that I do get, I don't get a lot of traffic, which I'm, I'm actually okay with that. Yeah. Um, but when I do, it's usually about the adoptee thing. And if it's non-adoption things that I'm discussing, then they come and look at my profile and they, they're like, oh, I thought you were a real dude. And I'm like, oh, that, that's the card you're going to go with. Okay, boo-boo, whatever you got to say to yourself. <laughs> like, you can't, you can't hurt me. Like, I, I know who I am. And I think that usually kind of deters people, especially... Yeah in adoption content like I'm I kind of am known to be a little bit of rude and I'm the one who will jump in and kind of disperse if people are being hurt and they're like oh well, you know you're just rude and mean whatever and I'm like well I'm just I'm owning who I am and I have things to work on but you're not going to hurt these people if you want to hurt someone like, let's yeah. go pick on someone who's going to be themselves and be okay with it like then they kind of get less ballsy <laughs> I was, I was looking at your video, some of your videos this morning before I was leaving the house and that one you did about, um, being gay and wanting to adopt and then how you come out with the flags. I'm like, that's just fantastic. (laughs) I love that one. Yeah. Like, suck it guys. (laughs) Yep. And that's the thing too, is I like, I, I was waiting for hate on that, but I didn't get any. And I'm just trying to point out like, hey man like it does it does suck like you find someone you love and you two can't procreate together supposedly but Mm. there's still ways but you're still a human and we're still in a capitalized society you can't just put a band-aid over that by going and picking up a kid like you're human I see you you're a human but we're not going to play this game you're not going to put your rainbow flag on and, and validate people who I've seen just like me suffer and it doesn't matter who their parents were yeah i had this interaction it was this gay couple on a, it, I, I joined this adoptive parent group like an idiot and um i was like i must be wanting some <laughs> torture um and there was this gay couple yeah. in there <laughs> and their whole profile was like so and so and so and so want to adopt and i'm like oh no and they just hauled off on me in my private messages. And I didn't even say anything like gay people shouldn't adopt. I was just basically talking about the trauma. And they yep. took it to mean immediately. Oh, well, you're saying gay people shouldn't adopt and that's not right. And I'm like, no, that's not what I said. Yep. You know, I was talking about acknowledging the trauma that comes from being separated from your mom. And then the trauma of being dropped in with strangers, you know? Yeah. And like people think surrogacy is, oh, well, we can just have a surrogate. Well, there's going to be primal wound in there too, because even if that's somebody else's egg and sperm and a host mother, they are still going to bond with that host mother, yep. you know, because that's their environment for that nine months and it's like it's so complicated donor conceived like oh did you see i don't know if you use netflix but there was a documentary about this fertility doctor who fathered like a lot of kids a lot he was using his own sperm and there's like i think 56 siblings or maybe it's more than that yeah. And it's like, can you imagine? And then if you all live in the same area, you could be dating your own sibling and not know it. Yeah. Oh my God. Like, do people think about these aspects, like the future at all? You know? Yeah. It's, that's really, ugh. Like, I, I didn't even, I don't ever think about that. Like, oh, could I be, could I have messed around with someone that was, but nope, I don't even, <laughs> I don't even yeah. want to open that door. Like, yeah yeah like i've heard of people in particular that are like because they're adopted they will not sleep with somebody that's their own race or that is even remotely similar to them at all like you know that just because it's such a fear i heard of this a couple this was years ago i heard about this but a married couple that were both adopted did dna and found that they were siblings Full oh siblings. God. You know, they didn't have children, thankfully. But, oh, my God, what do you do with that? Right. They probably were drawn to each other because of their sibling bond. But yeah. then it was mixed messages and, mixed, like, I can't imagine. Like, it's a nightmare. No. Genetic, <laughs> genetic sexual attraction. But then, like, but not knowing that, you know, it's, oh, my gosh. There's so many facets to adoption that 
make it such a complicated topic and general society just wants to whitewash it and be like, no, no, it's fine. It's beautiful. Like, okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, like in the baby scoop, it was like, oh, look, it solves everybody's problems. The young girl doesn't have to quit school to raise a baby. These people over here get a baby. The baby gets a home and checks all the boxes and everybody's good now. It's like, yep. no. <laughs> A little more complicated than that. <laughs> you know? Baby here. No, it's not that nice. simple, you know. Uh, so and for that not to have been considered is really like concerning, but I'm glad that it's being considered now at least. I hope so. Yeah, I, I've done a lot of reading in the history and Georgia Tan really like apparently there was a demand starting um for babies in the 1940s in particular there's a lot of theories that um a lot of the guys coming back from world war ii were coming back with stis and it was leading to infertility and that you know they're getting married and not having babies and back then it's like you're supposed to have babies everybody else is having babies why aren't you having babies yep you know and then people like Georgia Tan were like, well, I can help you out. Wild card. Yep. <laughs> you know, like I read one story in her book or no, it wasn't in her book. It was in somebody else's where this, this woman literally would arrange to acquire a baby and she would fake being pregnant because back then men weren't in the delivery room. Right. Yep. Right. And so she would fake being pregnant and her husband goes away on business and he comes back and she has a baby. He has no idea, you know, and like mm -hmm. that kind of stuff happened a lot, you know, and there was Hicks babies too, where he was delivering babies into one door and selling them out the other, you know, and it's Product. just like, it just, it's like people were like, there's laws against human trafficking. Really? <laughs> Tell me about those laws. <laughs> yeah, they seem a little flexible sometimes, you know. Like, you can't be pregnant and sell your child, but if you go through an agency and the agency gets all the money, that's okay. And it's okay, yeah. Like, it doesn't make any sense if you really think about it in a logical way. Right. Just put the price tags right on us. You know, just... I know, right? <laughs> I know. We're not even humans. And then here we are, full circle. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just trying to think if there's, is there anything you're thinking about that you'd like to add? Um, I guess maybe one point on that, uh, the LGBT thing or gay couple things. Like, yeah. I really, what I would love, like, I, I personally have my, my issues to get past. And obviously tomorrow adoption is not going to get solved. Mm -hmm. So if I can speak to gay couples in particular or queer people, um, if you are considering like adoption or anything like that, like why not instead at first help out your community, help out the youth. Like there are such, like right now, I'm so proud of the younger generation, Gen Z and even like my kid they're so sure of themselves and everything, but I know that they need guides and I know that we need more resources and centers and, you know, like non-party based places for these kids to be like, hey, I am myself. It's okay. I'm going to find community and grow up in a healthy way and not just be like, hey, you're gay, grow up and go to the bar and dance with drag queens. Like, no, like we need, we need um, mentors, big brothers, big sisters, things like that. Yeah. And I think that they should really do a lot of work in their community before they try to use a child. And, you know, I think that's super important and I think that's overlooked. Yeah. So if they yeah. have the ability, please help out your communities so that, you know, maybe they meet a queer adoptee one day who's struggling and they can be like, hey, do you need help? And so forth. Are you familiar with Dan Savage? I'm not sure. Oh, you should. Is he an actor? Dan. No, Dan <laughs> Savage is a um, sex advice columnist, okay. and he also has a podcast called the Savage Love Podcast, and he has a project called um, It Gets Better, where people will record videos. People that are LGBTQ 
high, I think it is, um, record videos meant for younger people explaining the problems that they had and how as they grow older, things do get better and easier and, you know, um, and people understand their identities better. And it's pretty interesting, but yeah, I, I recommend, I, you can only listen to it for so long and then you start to feel like you're hearing the same questions over and over again, you know, but he's, I really like Dan and um, he opened my eyes to a lot of things about sexuality that I hadn't even really thought about and realities that people live with and things like that. And um, yeah, it's, it's, but his, uh, his podcast is very interesting and his columns interesting. If you want to check that out, free plug for Dan Savage, but um But yeah, the It Gets Better project, I think, is a really good idea, you know, because I know that kids are just mean. I I was bullied all through school. No idea why, but I felt like I was one of those kids that had the invisible kick me sign on the back. And that's where, like, sometimes I struggle and not struggle, but starting to wonder if I'm not on the spectrum because I was so socially awkward when I was a kid. And I was hyper-focused, like my topic was animals. And so the way I'd try to like join a group of people that were friends and they're in a conversation talking about who knows what, and I'd be like, drop some random animal fact. Like, did you know reticulated pythons can grow up to 24 feet? You know, it's whatever, some, I'm sure it's probably bigger <laughs> than that. But that's like the way I would try to join in and people would just look at me weird, move away, you know? And like, <laughs> I got bullied so much you know and so I can only imagine what it's like for kids that are different in that way because even growing up in like the 70s and 80s and 90s like I watched the AIDS epidemic unfold and blow up and all that stuff and people would say such terrible things like, Oh, well, AIDS is your punishment for living the way you do. And, yeah, and it's like, you know, it's, I have a cousin who, who had HIV, but he got it cause he was Mexican cousin. He got it from hemophilia. Um, he had to have blood transfusions and he ended up catching HIV and he lived for a very, very long time for somebody who got it earlier on. And that's, I believe, cause he had a daughter to live for, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's a terrible thing to Absolutely. go through. And I'm glad they have medications now to make it. So it's not a death sentence, you know, and preventative medications and all that, but people still, there's still that stigma for people that are queer that it's just like, it's terrible. And kids are so nasty. And that's probably where this, it gets better thing comes into play because I'm sure there's a lot of teen youth that struggle with mental health issues because they're struggling with their identity, you know, and then to throw adoption into that pickle. Yeah. And it's probably comforting for them to see like, oh, well, the journey is going to be rough, but there's light at the end of the tunnel Mm -hmm. you can make it out the other side and you're worth it absolutely so that's very cool the fact that you're here shows personal fortitude you know and strength and the fact that you're a voice that's speaking out is i'm glad you're you're out there doing it for sure thank you thank you i was getting choked up (laughs) well and that's that's what I try to focus on is I try to be, as I said in the beginning, and I know who I am and I'm going to offer what I can and someone else out there sees, well, you know what? I don't have to take this. Yeah. Boom. And they get up and stand up for themselves. And there's a whole nother person on a better journey. And if that's what I can do, well, then let's blaze it up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, that fuego. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I know who I am now. And I feel like I didn't when I was younger. Part of what helped me, and I know it's probably kind of silly, was building an ancestry tree and like tracing my ancestors. Really, I feel more grounded. And it's interesting because, (coughs) pardon me, still coughing up COVID out of my lungs. Um, 
with like ADHD, I lost it. Um, oh no. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like the nature and nurture discussion. It's funny. If you look into psychology textbooks and you look up adoption, that's all they talk about is the twin studies that they didn't even get any usable data out of because it was unethical as all hell. And it ended before it could really get off the ground, but they got enough information from it to be like, Ooh, we really need to understand this nature and nurture thing. And it's like, even though I was raised by my adoptive parents, I definitely am more like my biological family than I am like them, like so much more. And recently, like in the last few years, I got to meet and I'm getting to know my dad's daughter, who's 17 years younger than me. But like we click, we really like I feel more on the same page with her than I have with anybody else that I've known about a lot of different issues and she's hilarious and you know my partner got to meet her finally and he was like I looked over at you two and you're glowing and I was like no (laughs) yeah I I can see that yeah it's 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 really that that whole nature versus nurture thing and I'm sure for people that are international adoptees where finding is going to be so much more of a challenge if you choose to go that way that's really a a drag man you know but I understand your hesitation at it and it's valid because like do you speak Spanish um I did learn Spanish but I've had a few concussions and Mm. I I used to know learn how to make some uh foods I the father of my child is from Mexico. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I picked up a little bit as well, but I lost a bunch of that. Like I've, I've lost a bunch due to some injuries. So mm, más o menos. Más o menos. <laughs> uh, te entiendo, pero no puedo decir, co- no puedo hablar as much. You speak like I do. <laughs> See, here, what's funny is like, I learned Spanish. It was literally like the crash course because my mom would take me to Mexico with her in the summers for like every other year, apparently. I'd ask my sister because I had no idea how many times we were there. And it was either play with your cousins, you've got to learn how to speak Spanish, or you're not going to be able to play with them. Yeah. So the way I uh, explain the Spanish that I know <laughs> is the same level as what a six or seven year old would learn. So I can speak it. I can understand as long as you don't go too fast. Yep. But I can't write or read in Spanish very well. But what's really funny is from learning it at a very young age, as soon as I'm around other people speaking Spanish, I start thinking in Spanish. Okay. And it's like okay. my brain trying to prepare for if I have to communicate, you know, but my mouth doesn't have the muscle memory to spit the words out the way I want to and the way I hear them in my mind all the time. I mean, I can, I can roll my R's and all that stuff, but um, yeah. And I took a Spanish class in school and it was terrible because I didn't realize that it was Castilian, which was then when I figured that I was like, Oh, cause my dad was Spanish. Yeah. And I couldn't understand when my parents were speaking in Spanish why my dad had a lisp. It's not a lisp. It's their pronunciations. Yep. I had to make it make sense, you know. Oh, yeah. So, well, I'm sure, like, I kind of I, I kind of feel a little more comfortable around people that speak Spanish, even if I can't understand them. Something about being around Spanish speakers or... Yeah. Um, even uh, my fiance is Filipino and some of their language, Tagalog, is some of it is Spanish. Yeah. And when I'm around them and when I'm they're playing the music, like everything just feels like at peace. Like it's your not your DNA Columbia, is like, yay. It's like here I am burning again and I'm safe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. That's very cool. See, I feel that around like 
when I hear mariachi music and all that stuff, to me, that's kind of like home because I grew up with it, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then, but like at the same time, when I found my birth family, I was thinking about getting a motorcycle license because I was working at a dealership. They're all bikers. My bio family, my dad still rides a bike in the summer only. He's 72 now, but he still rides like all the time. He does charity rides and he's like a diehard. He'll probably not quit until he can't do it at all anymore. You know, very cool. And it's interesting, you know, that the DNA stuff, it really is fascinating what we get from our biological families. And, and yeah, that's very cool though, that to you that feels like home even though you didn't grow up around it and that's that's fascinating yeah and I kind of feel obviously I don't speak for all adoptees but a lot of the ones I've met I feel I could say that in our own way we don't necessarily find home but we have found home yeah and we've made our own home and I think that's very powerful not very many people can do that I think adoptees are the only ones that should be able to say we have chosen families. Yep. Yep. I agree. You know, because I mean, well, you were chosen, but not in the, it's not right. You know, like there's something wrong about that. Like pick of the litter kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. Like biological people don't get to pick their kids. They just have whatever the the DNA mixes up. Right. If you got what you, what you did. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. exactly yeah like I wasn't chosen I just happened to be available you know but I got I got told that chosen thing and it always bothered me because I'm like well if I'm special and chosen then what's Marie because you guys made her and does it mean you're stuck with her (laughs) right like are you gonna tell her that (laughs) (laughs) exactly oh relatable yes all right well I want to really thank you for being on and um, I do appreciate your voice a lot and I hope you keep doing what you're doing. So are you, um, would you like me to put your link to your TikTok profile in the show notes? Yes, that is totally okay with me. And thank you for taking the time to um, give adoptees voices because many of us didn't know we had things to say and this stuff needs to get out. So thank oh, you yeah. very much. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's really important and have a very, very small audience, but hopefully with time it will grow. So for that too. <laughs> all right, Mark. Well, I appreciate you being here. Thank you. All right.